A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You might need a pen and paper because I've got a few things going on that I need to tell you about. I'm doing two shows with Helen Rose, former Queensland policewoman, and the show is called The Consequences of Murder. We're doing the first one on the 12th of August at the Thirsty Crow in Wagga Wagga. We're then doing another show at the Victorian State Library Village Roadshow Theatre on the 15th of October. Then I'm coming up to Sydney because you've asked and I've listened. I'm doing the Mornington Monster on the 1st of October at the Auditorium, 37 Reservoir or Reservoir, depends where you went to school, uh, Street in Surrey Hills, New South Wales. And did I mention filming started from a TV series? There is just a little bit happening in my life and it's all because of you, my listeners. Thank you. Tickets through Eventbrite. Have a great week. Uh, Hello and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. As police members, you you often live with that belief. I've got the uniform on, I'm mm. safe. Mm. Um, And and part of the shock is that suddenly it's presented to you that you can be killed Mm. Mm. uh, and you can be killed just doing your job. The name Jim Pilmer is a name many police know. Jim worked across just about every squad in Victoria Police, including the Homicide Squad, and he's been to far too many crime scenes. But Jim's never made an arrest or interviewed an offender because Jim's calling was and is helping others, including traumatised police, victims and witnesses. Former Victoria Police Chaplain, Reverend Jim Pilmer, OAM and PSM, to name two of the numerous medals he's received. He's a very special man and he's got a very special gift, providing strength and comfort to those who sometimes don't even realise they need it or admit they need it. 
he has comforted many traumatised police, including members who attended the death of four-year-old Darcy Freeman, who was thrown from the Westgate Bridge by her father. The family of murdered police members, Gary Silk and Rod Miller, and in my case, Jim was present day in and day out at the Tarong landfill site, where when I was with the Homicide Squad, we located the remains of Anna Sharp and her 17-month-old daughter, Gracie, murdered by John Sharp, Anna's husband and Gracie's father. Even though Jim is now retired senior police chaplain, he can't stay away from his calling and he's busier than ever. He's a voluntary police chaplain at Burundara Police, current state chaplain for St John's Ambulance, Victoria. Jim has a passion for the community that he helps day in and day out. I recently read one of the many articles and papers Jim's written, and this particular one was a submission to the Legal and Social Issues Committee inquiry into Victoria's criminal justice system in 2021, which highlighted Jim's understanding of policing and where the criminal justice system is falling down. Jim is a font of knowledge compassion and understanding in all aspects of faith. Jim comforts and supports anyone, their beliefs inconsequential. So what sort of a person can do that? Jim can. So thanks for your time today, Jim, and welcome. But but you should be welcoming me because I'm at your house. (laughs) You are indeed, and that's terrific. It's lovely lovely to be with you. Uh, Thank you. It's lovely to be with you too, Jim. so can you tell us a little bit about um, how long you were a police chaplain and what was your role? Because I don't think many people really understand a great deal about what a police chaplain does. No, that's true. And uh, I, I, uh, it was a learning curve for me too when I started, I have to say, a huge, huge learning curve. But maybe just to put all of that in context, um, I'm an Anglican priest uh, by background and uh, I've been ordained since uh, 1969 um, and, uh, and I'm still uh, still an active uh, priest in the Diocese of Melbourne with permission to officiate. So uh, that, that uh, in that area of work, I, w- I worked in uh, parish ministry uh, originally as a curate in uh, East St Kilda, which was an interesting time back at, uh, at a stage when... Uh, Things like LSD and so on were just uh, coming on the market and people were behaving in response to that. Um, and then uh, I f- got my first parish in North Fitzroy, Clifton Hill area, where I was in a house church, and that was back uh, starting in 1972. Uh, then uh, I, after six years there, we went to, uh, to Surrey Hills, which was very, very different, Surrey Hills in Melbourne, and then... Um, um, I was director of the Anglican Marriage Guidance Council, uh, working in that field as a, an accredited uh, marriage counsellor and couples counsellor for, for nine years. Uh, and then uh, the position of uh, senior chaplain uh, came up. Um, the first woman priest in the Diocese of Melbourne, uh, Nan Good, uh, rang me up one day and said, uh, do you know the police are looking for a senior chaplain? And I said, no. And... Um, she said, well, very kindly said to me, I think it's got your name written all over it. Uh, and uh, I had to think about that one. But <laughs> um, I said, that sounds interesting. Um, 
you know, when do the applications close? And she said on Friday, and she was giving me this news on Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> so I had no uh, no CV, uh, no idea quite how to apply, and did a very quick application, uh, lodged it, and uh, three weeks later I got a, a, a call saying I'd been invited to an interview. And, and I suppose the saying is the rest is history. Jim, just on that, so what were your, had you ever had any dealings with police before? No, no. Well, <laughs> maybe I might rephrase that. <laughs> but had you had any knowledge of? No. What, no, okay. No, it was, um, I, as you kindly said in the introduction, I've always been interested in the interaction between the church and the community and between Christianity uh, as a faith and, and the community. And uh, that that idea of um, you know being a chaplain to to the police and in that environment it just appealed to me immediately. So, uh, but, but uh, you know, the short answer is no, I hadn't had any contact in that way. Would you say, in those initial couple of years that you, or not even couple of years, maybe let's say the first couple of months, were you shocked at like? The, the trauma or the the grief or the sadness with what police were required to deal with on a daily basis? Um, yes. Uh, I, um, it was, what, part of my learning was just really to look at the diversity of what police do mm. uh, and, uh, you know, the... Uh, the average I was like the average person in the street who who looks at the, at the divvy van go past or whatever and mm. uh, and knows where your local police station is and et cetera et cetera mm. so uh, and that that was sort of about the depth of my knowledge um, but it, it was the diversity of all the different departments the mm. the nature of the work uh, th- those things were things I had to learn but uh, yes you're right they 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 do they impress you in, in using the word in a particular mm. sense mm. Um, and um, and amaze you. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't until I started, um, you know, I, I would say, uh, well, you never stop learning, but, uh, but it wasn't until I started to become involved as a chaplain in some of the sadder and more traumatic things that, uh, that mm. you know, the impact of what that does to police members and to their families uh, really hit me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can ever forget. I think we gloss over a lot of times about the families, mm. but I think the families see um, that, oh, let's say, that grief stripped down right there because when you're home, you don't have to pretend that, no. you know, you, you're coping. No. And I think a lot of families suffer a great deal from seeing their, their dad, their mum, brother, sister, whoever it be, yeah. really struggling. That's true. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I've discovered about that over the years is that, that we all do it differently. Mm. Um, my starting point for that really is we all have an inner life uh, and that inner life uh, it, it, we take to work uh, and then we bring it back home again. So, mm. uh, you know, some of us, for some of us that inner life is, is about a philosophy of life. Mm. Uh, for some of, it's, some of us it's mm. about uh, religious beliefs. Mm. Mm. Uh, if we break all those things up into different sections, then if you, you might do that differently if you're a, uh, a Muslim or a Jew or mm. a Christian mm. uh, or a Buddhist 
uh, or, you know, a Sikh. So, you know, gradually over the years I started to try to learn uh, the, the different different aspects of a person's inner life uh, and, and including using my own and saying, you know, when I go to something, this is what it does to me. Mm. Uh, when I come back home again, uh, I do something with that in the context of my family. Mm. That might be, uh, you know, sounding off and and, uh, and talking about it, which mm. can be a problem for the family in yes. itself because it yeah. can traumatise the family. Yeah. But it might also, on the other hand, be being totally silent and, and you know, being introvert about it, mm. internalising it. Mm. And and that's that's not a good thing either. Mm. Uh, so families, you know, families have to wear that or mm. understand that or mm. cope with that, and uh, uh, and we and we all cope differently. Mm. So often in chaplaincy, you're trying to talk to people or to the to the members or to the families, saying, you know, what is it that goes on uh, when when you've been to something that's Mm. been a bad scene or uh, you've had a, a really bad day mm. uh, do you talk about it um, and, and maybe should you talk about it mm. so mm. It, it, it can get very very complicated mm. and some I see sometimes my role has been to be able to take that person aside out, outside the family context mm. and maybe just have a have a coffee with them mm. or a chat with them somewhere privately um, in my little book I wrote I call it conversational counselling mm. but but in those informal conversations uh, things come out mm. um, your people I hope felt free to express what was going on for them mm. and um, I, I think uh, it might sound a strange way to describe it but I think when people hear themselves verbalizing things it sort of goes out of the mouth and back into their own ear mm. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. and they say oh ah, I didn't know I thought that it's a way of yeah, it's yeah. a way of you know self self-counseling but it's not yeah. until you can encourage a person to verbalize yeah that they 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 the penny drops for them yeah and they know what they're thinking just by hearing yeah. themselves speak. So, uh, as I say, you might think that's a rather strange way of doing it, but it actually works quite effectively in many cases. Yeah. Uh, just the just the low key, let's talk it over stuff. Yeah. And um, and you know, and once people trust you and they feel they can do that with you, then that can be very healing. Yeah. And it's not it's not a one way thing. You know, my conversations with them heal me as well. Because mm. you know you 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 get insights mm. into your own personality, your own mm. faith, your own background. Mm. Uh, it, it all works mutually mm. when you have those sorts of conversations. Mm. I, I did um, interrupt you, uh, but you were saying that so that you waited three weeks for your. Uh, for the police to say yes, yes. Uh, you, mm. so then um, can you take us through your career <laughs> with Victoria Police? <laughs> well, um, the, the job description was pretty simple really, just provide pastoral care and spiritual support to Victoria Police members. <laughs> that was it, wasn't <laughs> it? That was it, yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. <laughs> so... Um, I, I mean, I understand. I've heard recently that the job description now runs to over over eight pages of pretty closely typed uh, job description. Is, it, uh, is this for a chaplain for or is a this... senior chaplain? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, so, gee, sorry, uh, that sounds ridiculous. Well, it's. It, it, I don't know what they've got in it. I've never seen one, but I was told that that's true. 
and uh, one of my predecessors as uh, a senior chaplain, uh, one of my successors rather, as senior chaplain John Broughton. He he was the one who was asked to to actually describe as uh, you know for various reasons uh, what he did, mm. and. Um, I was asked that question by the bean counters <laughs> at, at one stage, and uh, you know, can you? And they produced this lovely sheet, uh, and they used contacts as the method of of measuring chaplaincy yeah. and pastoral care. And uh, it was not long after uh, I'd. Uh, conducted the Silk and Miller funerals and we'd had all the terrible trauma around that and I'd been doing my best to look after the families and other members and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So uh, I said to the person concerned, I rang him up and said, well, um, a few weeks ago uh, I had two funerals um, and we had four and a half thousand people at each funeral. Would you like me to make that sheet read 9,000 or two? And I never heard from him again. Um, so I made my point, I think. You can't measure pastoral care. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I mean, I, you know, I took funerals I took to. Mm. People that were actually contacted probably through that were, were you know, roughly 9,000. Mm. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm not focusing on the numbers. I'm mm. focusing really on the, the silly question of, Mm. Let's. Mm. Let, I, I understand people have to be accountable, mm. but um, trying to measure it by numbers on a sheet no. is not something you can ever do with chaplaincy and, no. and many other roles within Victoria yeah. Police, of course. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so try, when when you get the public servants trying to count that stuff, mm. it, it just doesn't measure up. Mm. Um, so you've mentioned there about Gary Silk and Rod Miller. Mm. Um, is there a particular incident um, which has stayed with you and why? <coughs> Pardon me. Um, yes. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the most recent ones are fresh in your mind, of course, and uh, and, and the Eastern Freeway crash was terrible and the, the loss of four lives there. Mm. Um, I didn't go to the scene there, but I, I did work with the Presney family and did, did the death notification with an inspector on that night. Mm. Um I think when when I look back, the Silk and Miller murders in Moorabbin in uh, 1998 are, are the one, the, or is the one that um, made the greatest impression on me, just because mm. of the shock waves uh, mm. that went through the force on that night, and um, mm. and I, I was at, at the hospital uh, when Rod Miller died there. Um, and then all of the aftermath of that, uh, the, the way in which the organisation responds and reacts and um, uh, the the organising of the funerals, the two funerals mm -hmm. uh, on two consecutive days um, yeah. and trying to trying to get all of that right as a chaplain because mm -hmm. at, at that point uh, I had pretty good control of, of how the liturgy was mm. to be conducted and uh, mm. and what would what would happen at the academy services mm. so yeah that that was a a very demanding time mm. uh, for everybody but uh, it, it really stuck in my mind 
um, it, it was, I think, the the first really major mm. incident that I had to deal with mm. as a chaplain. I think um, looking back to that time, I don't think we as a community had seen, like that was very, very rare. And just the, mm. um, the, the enormous amount of grief and not just within the police family, let's say, but yeah. the whole community, yeah. that would it, it affected everybody, didn't it? It did indeed. Mm. Um, the, the injustice of it, you know, people are trying to do the right thing, uh, maintain the right, uphold the right. Yes. That, yeah. That's the oath they took mm. um, and then they lose their lives upholding the right. Mm. And that seems, uh, you know, absolutely wrong mm. uh, at, at all sorts of levels. You know, at a, at a spiritual level and at a moral level. Mm. So th- those uh, those things are, um, are send a shockwave right through the community. Mm. Um, and one of the things that um, I realised at that point was that part of the shock for the police members was that the uniform is not a shield; it doesn't protect you. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. You know, I think uh, as police members, you you often live with that belief. I've got the uniform on; mm. I'm safe. Mm. Um, yeah. And and part of the shock is that suddenly it's presented to you that no, you can be killed, mm. Mm. Uh, and you can be killed just doing your job. Mm. So that that um, that's that's part of the way I tried to, you know, support and and approach. Mm. Uh, those sorts of issues after they happen. Mm. So, Jim, with something like that, no human being, uh, and especially a caring uh, person like yourself that cares for, yeah, just a caring person, how did you deal with that? So you've got the, the um, the two funerals and all that that entails, all that grief. Mm. Then you've got... Uh, the, being at the hospital and just a whole lot of counselling, I imagine, and um, comforting and supporting. Yeah. So I'm going to ask this question. I think I know the answer. <laughs> but where do you get your strength from? How do you manage? Uh, to be honest, uh, I've asked myself the, <laughs> I bet you have. the same question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not not only sort of why am I doing this, but but, yeah. but occasionally, you know, how did I do that? And when you look back, yeah, um, uh, I suppose the the the, the flip uh, sort of the the trite answer is, you know, um, somehow I get strength from God for that. Mm. Uh, but uh, but you get strength from many many other sources, mm. uh, and. Um, uh, certainly, from my wife and family, that that is an amazing support because mm. uh, you know you can go back home to to just be yourself mm. and uh, and mm. to relax and uh, mm. to feel safe and all of those things mm. uh, and to be comforted uh, and that that uh, over the years with Rosemary and my family has just been a fantastic thing. But uh, I guess some of us just have certain personality characteristics for good or ill mm. that, that enable us to do mm. things. I mean, I look at, uh, at your police officers and, uh, mm. and the things you've done in your job, Narelle, uh, mm. with homicide uh, and say, how do you do that? Um, I look at the paramedics 
Mm. Uh, that go to horrible stuff. Mm. I now look at some of the St John uh, coronial services team that are doing the work for the coroner mm. uh, day in, day out, and say, I couldn't do that. How do you do that? Mm. P- mm. Part of the answer is that, that uh, you know, it's a personality thing and it's mm. a vocation thing. Mm. So, you know, we, we, we eventually discover who we are and then we feel called to that yeah. without yeah. being, you know, terribly religious about it all but you you do have an inner voice that says I think this is who I am and this is what I want to be Mm. and gradually that develops Mm. and so you know we are who we are Uh, and um, that doesn't mean we've all got to be that I I look at other people who who do all sorts of fantastic occupations and think you know I haven't got the slightest idea how you would do that Mm. or how you can do that or why you would want to do that (laughs) (laughs) so I I just sort of you know it's um it, it's uh, just an individual personality thing. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, the support of family and friends uh, and of my faith, I have to say, you know, mm. trying to put things in a faith context as my understanding of what Christianity is all about, mm. um, that uh, that all comes into it. And uh, um, in a more formal way, I did go to, uh, we had a, we had a little group of uh, of clergy, some of whom were hospital chaplains, some of whom were parish clergy, and there was about a group of six or eight of us. Mm. And we would meet every month with a Catholic priest who was also a psychologist, mm. and we would at each we'd meet for a, you know a whole morning together, mm. uh, and um, and we would debrief. So each of us had oh, to yep. um, present every time we met. Uh, we'd present something that we'd been to that had been troubling us mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd talk that through and that was very therapeutic. I bet it was. Um, and with- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The group of clergy, as you can imagine, the the, the challenges to our faith <laughs> came up yeah. uh, and, uh, and how we de- dealt with that and, you know, how could we believe in God if this sort of thing mm. happened, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So that, that I found that very, very helpful. And it, it, as I say, it was a formal way of um, uh, dealing with some of the stuff that we, mm. we saw and attended. So know. that's interesting that you say that because that was <clears> going <throat> to be one of my questions, that in that group that you're with, you are uh, actually questioning <clears throat> how can there be a God sort of, um, or yeah, you're questioning it because I've got to say that with um, my experience in policing, I've seen, as you would have, I've seen so many um, traumatic, cruel, I've seen cruelty that nobody could imagine. And I must admit, um, if ever I had a little flicker of faith, it um, it got blown out mm. because I couldn't. I just couldn't think to myself if there was a God, how how could he or she allow this cruelty to happen? Mm. But I know that I um, prior to today I asked you if you would mind if I asked that question because I didn't want to offend you, <laughs> but I really loved your answer. Uh, uh, I think my answer was. Um, that I don't, I've reached a point now in life where I, I don't try to explain anything. I mean, I think we fall for the trap of saying, of saying, I reckon we can explain this, mm. you know, and I can prove it to you by this Bible verse or, mm. uh, you know, I can pull that out of nowhere and say this is, this mm. is what it means. Uh, I, I don't work that way. I can't, uh, I can't take that view of the Bible, mm. to be honest. Mm. I don't use proof texts um, and, and, um, that's another debate altogether. But mm. um, I mean, I, I can't explain why that happens, and I think part of my chaplaincy and my counselling work has has been based on that. You're not, I'm not trying to explain or justify any of this. I, I'm just saying to you, I think we're all together in the mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I mean, I, I also can't explain beauty. Mm. Uh, I can't explain love. Uh, I can't explain the wonder of the human body. Mm. Uh, I can't explain the fantastic creation that we we live in. Uh, I can't explain how Mozart got to be doing compositions at the age of six. Mm. Uh, all of those mm. things, you know, it, mm. you could go on and on and on. I, you can't explain goodness. I can't explain yeah. goodness. Yeah. Um, I can't explain the, you know, commitment to service that the police give, for example. Mm. I can't explain that uh, that desire for justice, mm. um, and and I can't can't explain, you know, for, for thousands of years people have been been arguing and theologians theologians have been working on the issue of you know good and evil, mm. 
Mm. Uh, that, that's that's the eternal debate. Mm. So I think once we get into the whole business of you know I'm going to explain this to you and uh, mm. uh, it it doesn't it doesn't mm. help people it doesn't heal them and it doesn't support them. Mm. Um, it, it also probably doesn't help some people just to say to to them this is a mess and I'm in it with you. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 if um, to to sound frightfully serious and theological just for a second. You now, know, now you're frightening me. Jim. Now I'll frighten you. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what, in my understanding now, that's what Jesus was all about. It was God saying, um, you know, it, it, it was Jesus God, which is an expression that I, I've come to use because I think you've always got to combine the two. Mm. So Jesus God saying, I'm with you in the mess. Mm. I'm prepared to be in the mess. Mm. I'm prepared to suffer and I'm actually prepared to die. And at the end of all of that, I will show you that you'll still come out victorious. I that, like that, but also it, it also means I think that um, it shows or it helps people realise that they are not alone. No, you're not. That, as you say, that you are with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think and that's very comforting it's at just, times. It's it's just walking with people. You know, these all sounds like cliches, don't they? But when you say things like that. But it's just, they might from others, Jim, but not from you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But look, it, it's just it's just about being there. Yeah. Um, m- most of my chaplaincy, I think, has has been not not sort of saying, "Look, I did this, I did that, and I fixed it." Yeah. It, it's about saying, "I was, I'm here for you. Mm. Um, I hope you trust me. Mm. It's utterly confidential, and um, and I'm just." Let, let's do this together. Mm. Um, that can put you in the position of, of um, well, that can put you in the position of having a good cry with them, mm. you know. Have that, you done that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes you say, look, I've got no words. I don't know why this happened. Mm. Um, and and just, uh, just weep with them. Mm. And... Um, Hopefully, I think I've you know been able to recover from those sorts of situations mm. fairly quickly. Mm. But I think um, sometimes I've needed to do that. Mm. <laughs> it's not not been me doing it for them. It's yes. been me doing it for me. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so um, yeah, that get, getting down to that point where you can sort of just share their grief with mm. them mm. Or, or their pain or, or their disbelief. Mm. And but I think trying to Trying to give trite answers in mm. in deeply complex situations is just a stupid thing for a chaplain to try to do, mm. and and uh, and I don't come from that particular mm. uh, line of thought. So, yeah, um, being there, and and the being there opens up all sorts of possibilities, and mm. and not only the fact that you're there at that particular moment, but that that person can feel that they could ring you up in the future or mm, mm. they can, you know, ring up and say, can I have a cup of coffee? Mm. Uh, or, uh, you know, hopefully sometimes they say, can I have a glass of red, which would be nice. <laughs> and um, so, <laughs> you know, we can do we can do yeah. all of that uh, yeah. or, or you can meet them. I, I had one police officer who, who said to me, uh, I want to take you somewhere confidential. And um, and he put me in the car in in St Kilda Road, and we went and we drove and we drove, and he took me to this place which was out in the middle of nowhere. And I I said, um, eventually, 
I don't, you know, I, I don't quite know why he wanted to be in that spot. Mm. But I said to him, you know, why did you bring me here? And he said, oh, I come here with all the crooks. So <laughs> um, that, that <laughs> he said, I speak a lot of crooks here. So uh, it was said with a bit of tongue in cheek, but it was uh, we had a good laugh, and then we went on, and we had quite a therapeutic conversation. <laughs> but he had it obviously, was obviously his happy place. It or, was his happy place. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you yeah. know that's chaplaincy for you. <laughs> oh, that's great! I love it. Um, and you know, that's interesting. You talk about just being there, because I have to say that I'm ashamed to admit, but I remember at the search. Uh, down at the landfill at Tarong or Mornington uh, where we were searching for Anna and um, Gracie Sharp in 2004 and you sat there day in, day out and I think we were there, well, not I think, we were there for 11 days and you were just there. You were just sitting there for us but I don't remember anybody coming and chatting to you. And I know I didn't because I thought if I came and chat to you, first of all, I thought I would probably cry, which I didn't want to because I was trying to be strong. I was also so concerned about what others may think of me. It would be like, and this is terrible to admit, but this is how it is, but you'd be thinking, gee, Narelle's been talking to Jim for a while. Is Narelle all right? Or maybe she's not coping. We'd better take her off the search. So I just felt very awkward for you that you were sitting there and nobody was talking to you. But when you explained then about being there, you're right. It's just the fact that somebody is there that cares for you, that cares for how you are. And, you know, if the feeling does come around that you need um, a shoulder to cry on or somebody to talk to, you are there. But I just felt it was such a shame that you were there and nobody talked to you. Does that bother you, Jim, or do you understand that? No, I, I think I understand that. Um, a, a, part, a part of that, I mean, there, there were actually some uh, contacts made, um, but, but, you know, off the site people did call me of a night, one or two. Um, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But okay. They, they wouldn't, but not, not on the, not when on, I was Not there. on the record. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, there was another aspect that I I discovered over the years and it applied in, in that case t- uh, that somehow it wasn't about the police members present. It was about respect for the family, for the ones that had died. Absolutely. And they they recognised yeah. the chaplain's presence as to, to do with the fact that, you know, little ones had died, mm. uh, something terrible had happened. Mm. Um, and and there was a sort of a symbolic role that the chaplain mm. has mm. for it doesn't matter whether, whether people are religious or not, um, mm. you know, it, 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 there, there was that there was that respect to it just mm. respect for life mm. uh, and the sacredness of life and that something so horrible could have happened. And mm. and um, it's it sort of just, uh, again, it sounds like a, a pretty trite, but it's sort of like there's a, there's a spiritual dimension to this and the chaplain represents that. Mm. 
Mm. It's not about me. It's just about the position. Mm. So um, I um, I think chaplaincy can have that role. It sort of re- recognises somehow spirituality in the midst of horrible things mm-hmm. and and you can be the symbol of that. Mm. You know, that's really interesting you say that because I can remember at that scene um, I found Anna in the bag and I can remember the moment I found her, I knew I would never, ever leave her until yeah. the, uh, the coroner's van yes. or wherever it is came to get her. It was like... She, I mean, I knew that she was uh, deceased, but it must have been a little bit spiritual because I thought um, I am not going to leave you in this filthy, rat-infested, asbestos-ridden, windy, awful place not one moment longer. And I can remember everyone uh, where you were sitting up at Cup of Tea 200 um, and Everyone went up and then I, I remember a, a colleague of mine said, come on, Fraze, we're going up. And I said, I'm not leaving her. I just couldn't leave her. No. Um, so I understand completely what you say there. It's um, and, and also I felt the same. I know for the 11 days that we were there, I, I felt I, I had a responsibility almost for the family. Yeah. I felt so much for the family that I wanted, I wanted to. Um, what's that word? Um, not. Fi- I wanted to find them so that they could never ever move on, but so that they at least knew, and uh, they knew that their, you know, that Anna and Gracie weren't going to end their life in a tip. I, I could think yeah. of nothing more horrific as a family member to think hmm. that's where my. Hmm daughter and granddaughter are. Yes. Yes, Yes. well, I had an experience, a different uh, experience with homicide of that where a young young woman uh, was um, in the tip somewhere. She was murdered, uh, put in a dumpster. Um, The dumpster then went to the the Mm -hmm. tip out at Campbellfield and uh, and they could not find her. And I took uh, a little funeral service on the edge of the tip out there with the homicide members present uh, on a very hot, windy day while all the all the graders trundled up and yes. down spreading rubbish and yeah. not giving us 10 minutes of silence even. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know the effect that that had on that family. Uh, yeah. She was in there somewhere but she couldn't be found. Yeah. Uh, and I know the effect it had because, mm. you know, and uh, um, again, we use symbolism a lot there. We I used incense uh, because obviously the smells mm. uh, of a tip uh, are something that you want mm. to replace with something else. That, mm. that, so incense made sense to me that mm. that we could do that. We used candles t- uh, for light, and uh, we used water. We sprinkled water around, and we just oh, used this little lovely. little area on the side of the tip to make it a sort of a little mm. a little uh, service area mm. uh, while while we did all of these things, and the family gathered around and. Uh, it was just terrific to have the the homicide members there with us mm. uh, to to pay. And again, it come back to respect. You know, mm. it's it's a respect for life. Mm, absolutely, it's a it recognition that, that that this is a person and that this person uh, mm. has a soul and uh, mm. uh, and that they, you know that they never become worthless. Mm. 
So all of those things all sort of all come together and, and as a chaplain you hope you can provide mm. some of those things mm. in, a, in a formal way sometimes and in an informal way at others. Mm. Mm. So is there, there's obviously a lot, of, a lot of things you've done in your career as a police chaplain. What's one of the proudest achievements um, that uh, you, you've done in your role? I think the creation of the police chaplaincy network, which was a wonderful privilege, that was one of the uh, one of the things that uh, that I was expected to do when I took the job. Mm. Previously, police chaplaincy, uh, prior to my taking my role, had been done by um, what we might call a contract chaplaincy service, so the Interchurch Trade and Industry Mission, which existed then, but it still exists under another name. Mm. Uh, but um, at that point, um, the the chaplain used to, say, go to a, a country town and he'd do the rounds, do the post office and the butter factory and the police station. And, <laughs> um, and, and then... Um, you know, and, and that was sort of it. So the the depth of the chaplaincy at that stage was probably not there. Mm. And and also uh, there's, there's always the old story about the chaplain pulling up outside the police station and within minutes everybody's got jobs to do and yes. they've all cleared out and, and gone, got in the van and gone. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I know that's all changed now yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm pleased to see that. But uh, coming back to to the task was to create a chaplaincy network across the state. Mm. Uh, I was told that um, there was a little bit of money uh, to appoint 32 voluntary chaplains. So um, um, I found that it was an, you know, the amazing amount of $60 a week. It was a bit of petrol money. Oh, uh, $60 a week. Yeah, I don't think they get anything now, so it's worse. <laughs> I mean, we have three senior chaplains in Victoria, or two at the moment, and a third position coming. But um, uh, they, they just got that uh, in for the thirty-two positions. But n- now um, the the great thing is, and and why I feel you know it's very gratifying is that there's uh, over sixty voluntary part-time chaplains across Victoria. Uh, they are of all faiths, uh, predominantly Christian at the moment, but uh, there, there are rabbis and um, imams and uh, I think uh, an Aboriginal spirituality representative mm. uh, and obviously a Christian clergy, uh, men and women across the state. So they're doing a fantastic job and um, and, there are, and the senior chaplains full-time mm. uh, are, are, are flat out because they're, they're being used and they are respected and uh, they're doing a great job. I love the fact that there's so many different faiths uh, yeah. r- represented. Yeah. Like years ago, there was one. That's right. Like you. It was a Christian. That's right. It was right. a Christian chaplaincy network. Yeah. The whole interfaith thing is is, is great to see. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, uh, when I started, uh, I think there were... I was aware of about five or six Jewish police members in the force. Mm. Um, they would be liberal Jews, um, and there were no Sikh members, and there were no no Islamic members. Mm. Mm. Um, and then uh, Maha was the first uh, Muslim uh, Sikh uh, Muslim sorry Muslim member I yeah. remember with yeah. her getting a hijab, yeah. uh, and um, uh, and. Uh, 
I, uh, I still hear from her occasionally. But then, uh, of course, uh, now we I see we have Sikh members mm. uh, wearing their turbans. Yep. All of those issues had to be worked through. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, including the things like swearing them in because you don't swear in a Muslim member on the Bible. You, you know, okay, yeah. <laughs> you have the Quran. The Quran, yes. So um, all of those things presented little challenges mm. along the way as we went, but mm. they've obviously been worked through. You'd have yeah. to you'd have to be quite fluid, wouldn't <clears throat> you? In mm. uh, it's like anything, I suppose. You you learn a certain way of something, but then things change, and yes. you have to go yeah. go with it, or you get left behind. That's right. That's yeah. right. And and I think you know, chaplaincy has had a big role to play yeah. in in bringing about that acceptance uh, and inclusiveness, and and a recognition of religious diversity. So. You know, and my church or fellowship was actually about uh, religious diversity. What were the aspects of religious mm. diversity that that operational police needed to know? Mm. Mm. Because, uh, for example, if you go to a, as a homicide member, go to a, a Muslim uh, murder, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, that person uh, needs to be treated, that the, the deceased person needs to be treated with respect mm. according to Muslim custom, Islamic custom, uh, then, you know, for example, uh, they would they would ask, if possible, that the, uh, the person's eyes be closed, that mm. their face be orientated towards Mecca, mm-hmm. uh, that they be covered with a white sheet. Mm. Just some of the things that mm. need to be done. Mm. Now, how do you teach police that? Yes. Uh, yeah, you're uh, right. <laughs> uh, and and so uh, there are aspects of chaplaincy that can be brought to the fore where uh, as a Christian mm. chaplain, if I was in, in a back with homicide, mm. then uh, I would be able to at least know those things and mm. say to the members, if they mm. ring me up, they might mm. say, what should we do here? Mm. Mm. And, in fact, that's what I finished up doing, that we we, uh, we had an early edition of uh, uh, of an interfaith book pr- produced by the, uh, the, the uh, ANSPA, the, the Australian New Zealand Chief Commissioners Conference, mm-hmm. where uh, there, there is a book now that um, you can, if you, you know, pull up outside a house and you know that they're a Sikh, you can look up what should we do? Okay. Yeah. What shouldn't we say? <laughs> what shouldn't what we do say? we wear? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's things about yeah. not touching people inappropriately, yes. not hugging women, yes. uh, about speaking to the head of the house. All yeah. of those things are different for different faiths. Yeah. Uh, and it, it enhances the professionalism of the police if they do those things properly. Yes. And it, and it, it creates respect for the police members. Mm. They go away, hopefully people say, well, they, you know, they treated us with yeah. respect yeah. Uh, and we respect them for that. Yeah. So it can get quite complicated, but it's a big field and a very interesting field too. Yeah, it would be. Well, what a breath of fresh air and a slice of goodness is Jim Pilmer. Next week, Jim shows us just how passionate and how determined he can be when he sees an issue which needs addressing. And that issue is about those who aren't part of a crime scene, for instance, but are terribly affected by it. Um, They're sometimes referred to as secondary victims, and that could be any one of us at any time. I don't say this very often, in fact, seldom. But God bless Jim. A 
it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.